folks. This is Chris White, and you're listening to Basic Business Advice. Uh, today, Dan Olavi is going to uh, set us up with a situation, and we're going to get a bunch of feedback, but I want to make sure you know who's talking today. We've got Jordan Mullet from the Ruby Group and Sandler Training. We've got Jordan Stoltzfus, our producer here on the podcast, as well as our marketing director at Equus. Ken Hostetler, a partner at Equus, and Dan Olavi at Branches Worldwide and Olavi Leadership. So, Dan, lay out the situation for us, and I know you're going to not say any names and try and be a little vague because this situation is real mm-hmm. and happening, but go ahead, lay it out for us. Yeah, so this one is a challenging one because I think it doesn't have any easy solutions, and I think when you get to a certain level of leadership, you deal with stuff like this all the time. This is um, from one leader in particular, so um, she's in one part of the country and her business is in the other part of the country. Initially, she was working with her business, in her business, it was thriving, the employees loved her, it was very, very clear, and very, very close. And then uh, she moved across the country to get her doctorate. And essentially, uh, she put the business in charge, uh, she put someone else in charge of the business and said, hey, everything's gonna be fine. The team was excited. She had a, a really long, sort of detailed conversation with them and they were all in. Then she moved across the country to work on her doctorate. A couple months later, she looks up and the business is failing. The person she put in charge of it isn't doing a great job in that the team was really tight. The person she put in charge of it doesn't have a lot of influence and isn't really breaking into that group. The employees themselves aren't necessarily sending the right data back to her. And so she thought things were thriving because she's looking at certain numbers. And then all of a sudden, when she flies back across the country and looks at those numbers, she realized that she was only getting half the story. And so now she's looking at a business that she thought was growing and it's not. In fact, it's tanking. She's looking at leaders she put in place that she thought had influence and that leader doesn't. But she's across the country. So how in the world does she solve that problem when she's not even in proximity to the business? What would you guys do if you were her? There is a point at which any leader gets going that they realize they've got to hand off responsibility. So even in this situation where it's very remote, where she is required to be apart from her business during this season, I think it's relatable in the sense that any growing business requires the owner who initially did everything to hand off parts and trust people to do it. But in every time you do that, there's always the risk that it's going to fail. But the question becomes, would it have failed if you'd have stayed? And what would you have done in that situation? Or are you just looking at this situation because it's not you and saying, because they're failing, something's wrong. Where if you were in the same situation where you were that person on the ground and it was failing, you would be like, no, it's situational. It's happening because of the market. There's a whole other number of factors. Or is it easy when you hand it off to somebody else to say, the reason it's failing is because of that person. Mm, mm, mm. And that is the tension I think you have to hold in any business owner situation is, would you give yourself more grace that you're giving this person you've asked to do this thing in, mm-hmm. in that situation? I don't know, Jordan, or you've been in situations yeah. where the family's taken over a number of responsibilities over time. Well, okay, so I almost want to call BS because the fact that the data is not showing the failure in my mind goes right back to the leader because the question is why is you why have you not set up the feedback loops to be able to know what's going on there how are you this far down the road have you been ignoring something are you not getting i mean there's something missing there that goes back to you don't have the right dials it's like flying an airplane and discovering later that the altimeter is set on the wrong thing well who set the altimeter 
right? That's the pilot's responsibility at the beginning to zero that out, am I right? Like to figure out what that's set at? I want to push back on this. So she may be saying, hey, the numbers that I was getting tell one story, but you and I both know that numbers are not the whole story. So let's say she's getting data. She has, it's really difficult when you're a thousand miles away to know what employee morale is or to know what's actually going on. Wouldn't that be the number one thing that you're looking for? You have to have some kind of gauge on company morale or what's happening there? Like we have to have something. You would think so, but here's the reality. When you're in a business, you don't necessarily measure everything. Some things you just go by feel. And so you're sitting across the table from your direct report and you ask them about the numbers. They're not going to fudge because they know you can look and find out. But when you're across the country, it's hard to know the exact right metrics that you have to put in place in order to get the same feel that you would have as if you were in the room. And so she thought that she put the right metrics in place. And then later she realized, oh crap, I probably should have been measuring employee morale in some way. But when I was in the business, I just knew how people were feeling because I looked them in the eye. How do you measure employee morale? You certainly know. Well, I, I, that, that's it. Morale is measured based upon social interaction. Period. You can test it all you want. You can send out surveys of, are you happy here? Are you glad to be here? Are you paid enough? Are you getting enough? You can send out every survey you want. Surveys are only as reliable as the person's, where that person's at right then that day. Morale is gauged purely on, I can look in Ken's eyes and go, he can't make eye contact with me. Something's up. I disagree. I 100% understand what you're saying in regards to the survey itself is limited because people will fudge or they feel a certain way that day. But you can tell people's morale based on their ability to do extra effort. When you ask them to do something and they do just a little bit more because they believe in the vision and they believe in you, then you know morale is high. But they do just enough to not get fired. Come on. She's supposed to call and be like, oh, hey, can you work an extra half hour today? Because I'm testing you. No, 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 no. But that's something like while you're in the middle of the business, you can tell people are excited. She's not in the middle of Are we literally talking about that one day I'm in my business, I set this up, I put the right people in place, and then I'm literally disconnected from every single person in the business, and now the only person I'm talking to is that leader? Yep, that's exactly what happened. Oh, that's a brutal... I mean, you were talking about... That's a... Right away, you're setting yourself up for failure. I mean, so that, what should she have done? Well, I think about it more like a kid. Like, if I'm going to... I mean, we don't teach our... T- sure, if... You're a horse and you have a full, foul, full, full. That's how you're walking within a day and you're out baby horse. (laughs) Baby horse. It's running, but you know, you think about the way that we birth a child and they walk over the period of, you know, two, three months and then you like, and and you turn them loose as teenagers. Like, where's the gestation period here? Where's the, let's see if this is going to run. And I'm, I'm keeping my finger on the pulse to be able to make sure that this is somebody I can trust instead of, hey, good luck. Well, I think the challenge comes in here, where you're working with a team, and they you 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 spend time planning and preparing for you to leave, and then you look everybody in the eye and say, "Are you good? Are you good? Are you good? Are you good?" And they're all like, "I'm great, I'm great." And then it turns out they actually don't believe in the mission of the company at all. They just believe in you. And when you're gone, all of a sudden they're like, "Oh, I actually don't really want to do this anymore." <laughs> but that that's I'm jumping on Ken here for a second, and I'm taking this. No, go for it. Go for but, it. <laughs> I have a problem with the definition of morale to start with. That morale is judged by the willingness of people to go the extra mile. Morale is not judged on what they're willing to give. Morale should be judged on the ability for them to communicate 
internally to each other. And that fundamentally was what you described was not going on. You're, you're saying like, oh, the leader was not inside the group that was going on. There was no communication. They couldn't trust each other. The leader that was put in charge had no social credit to spend with that group. Therefore, morale is going to suffer because I agree. Most small businesses don't follow the mission, they follow the person. Did they try a pizza party? Did they? <laughs> Maybe a Zoom happy hour. <laughs> I, I would 100% agree that the, the, the issue with this or the problem with this structure is the way it's set up. So you have a relationship with a team. They are used to communicating with you. They have exactly what Chris was saying. They have no relationship with this new person. She may have a list of 20 qualifications as to why she was a great fit to be a leader. But if she cannot figure out how to interact with that team and make so that they trust her versus just them trusting the, the leader that's no longer there, she is not the right person. I, and I think you guys are 100% right. I'm really appreciating this conversation, but I think it's wrong because we're doing an autopsy right now. We're assuming it's dead and we're trying to figure out why it died. It's not dead yet. So what is she going to do next? Like if you're her in her situation, what would you do now? Well, okay, here's what I'm, I want to ask this question. Why? And I'm just throwing everybody into a pile here. Why do we as business owners, when we go to plan something, just plan for success? Like, what does the failure conversation sound like before you jump in? Like, where are the, the red flags? What are we going to, like, how do we build that in? And I think too many times we're just blue sky in it. We're just optimistic and we're jumping in. And we're just like, this is where we're going to do this, this, and this. Like, how do we know when this isn't working? Or is that built in? And then we can get to the autopsy. That, that, that is, other. I think that's fair. I think it's fair to say that we want to look towards the future with optimism. We want to look towards what we want to accomplish. Go across the country, do my doctorate, maintain this business. I am optimistic that if I put the right person in here, it's going to work. And then along the way, which I agree, it's not dead. And I want to get to that point. And along the way, though, if that person trips and stumbles and falls, or the market crashes that you're providing it into, or whatever is happening, not having a mitigation plan for not having success is something that we universally probably all could do better at because it's hard to plan for the worst. So what should that plan have been though? Well, I need a cat on my team, right? I need somebody in my life, either on my leadership team or my, my advisory board, somebody that's doing critical thinking. If it's not coming from my team, then I have to have somebody that is critical thinking, who's willing to play devil's advocate, who's willing to play the other side, all the what ifs and things like that. That is, I need somebody in my life that's going to do that. If I'm the blue sky person, which I tend to be, I need somebody poking holes and stuff. And yes, pes a healthy dose of pessimism <laughs> can go a long way. Stop looking at me when you say that. <laughs> in any plan, simply due to the fact that unfettered success is never a reality. But unfettered failure is probably also equally not a reality. It's probably not as good, which is to your point, Dan. We're not talking about an unfettered failure that has crashed a business into the ground and there's no coming away from this. What we've got are some warning lights going off. And the question is, is how is it going to keep flying in the midst of this? And I think 
if I were to speak into it as a person who has failed in leadership many, many times. I'm still failing right now. Right now. <laughs> uh, as a person who's failed in leadership many, many times, you've got to be willing to enter into that situation and have the hard conversation. Starting with, if I was this person, would I be giving myself more grace than I'm giving them right now? Because did I set them up for success? Because the question is that Jordan asked, did we plan for success and failure? And did I set them up for success? And I think that goes back to the first, the very first thing that I would be doing is sitting down with the leader and I would want to be gauging self-awareness, where are they at? You know, if they didn't see it coming, are they seeing it now? And then what's the plan look like? Are they able to see a path forward? Can they communicate that well? And then do I see potential that they're going to lead us out of this or do I have to go replace that person? Okay, I think that that's that's what we're talking about here. Okay, so there's a couple different things that are at play. Number one, Chris, I love that you weighed in, but I hate everything about what you said. <laughs> the primary reason for that is because I feel like what you're saying is is so basic. Like, yes, you have to talk to her. Yes, you have to step in the situation and actually figure out what's going on. Yes, all that is true, but that still doesn't tell you exactly what to do. You have to understand: Did I give them enough, enough grace? Maybe I didn't. Maybe I should have been harder. Maybe I should have been more lenient. But still, the problem is there. You still have to fix it. And so, if you decide at some point, do I fire? this person in charge and put someone else in charge or do I keep them there or is there a third solution but we are in solution mode now not addressing it or not trying to figure out how do we engage in the crucial conversation we know how to do that already what should we do now I think what you just said is exactly right in that there is another solution I don't think it's as black and white as saying okay well I have to replace this person or I just need to have a conversation with her and have her interact with the team, I think it's possible that both the, the person and the structure needs to change. So she can look at her team and say, okay, is there no one qualified to step into this leadership role? If not, that means I maybe have to bring someone else in. If I bring someone else in, how can I structure this to, as Chris said, set them up for success? And how can I make so that I have a plan if my second go around still doesn't work, how do I have another contingent plan? Because you still have to make the decision. You still have to figure out first, are you going to go with the original leader? That's decision number one. You can't go anywhere until that. I disagree. Because if you don't make a decision there, then none of the other stuff. Like, because what happens if you, I mean, you're just doing contingency in case that person doesn't work out. No, I want to know, does that person, are they aware of the problem? Can they see it? Will they adjust? Can they put a plan together? And then we can start working together and put a plan together of what they're going to do. If they can't have a relationship with the team that's in place, I've seen enough. Right. So we're still making that decision. So I'm, I want to know, are they self-aware? Are they the ones, now that we brought it to them, can they see it? Can they know and then can they figure out what to do? Do I trust them with that? Because it's a potentially solvable problem. Like if you don't have any social capital with the team, there are ways to build social capital. But if you're such a bad leader that you've burned all kinds of bridges and you are not coming back, they are so hard-shelled and hard-boiled that they're not gonna follow you anywhere, then after that conversation, that's a clear determination. You're like, I can't lead with you. If, they, if she's already failed once, isn't that just a bigger hill to climb? Like versus a new, people, a new person? It could be, it could be. But if she has the will to do it and the desire to do it and she sincerely wants to do it and she has the ability to do it. The humility. Here's the thing, failure has not been fatal yet. Failure and conflict stemming from failure can breed the largest form of intimacy possible. 
with humility. With that's you, where if you've got a leader that's willing to jump in there, like this is potential for growth. You can have more than you had before. Now, is it harder in a leadership scenario where what you described was a calcified, unified group and somebody who was entrusted to try and lead them that was not a part of them? Mm-hmm. And that's not working. Okay, acknowledged. But what can be done? And this is where I disagree with what you said about the decision is whether or not this person stays. I think that's too late of a decision. The decision is by the leader. Do I continue this path where I have to be removed by thousands of miles from my business? If the answer to that is yes, then the problem is solvable. The problem of this leader's position with their with the inside of their business is solvable. And the problem could be solved by, we're going to get the right person because this isn't working. It could be solvable by, I need to take a little bit of a break and go back for three weeks, not to repair this, but to force the issue and get this done because this person can make it happen. Or I need to go back and find some other alternative. But that's where I think the problem resides first and always is somebody who where the buck stops everywhere, you gotta take that on personally as the leader. I made this decision. Do I still wanna have that decision? Yes, that I am willing to solve every single problem that is a result of that decision. Every single thing that comes up is the motivating factor because I choose to do this. All right, I, I like that. I like because that is that has a lot to do with it. And my personal commitment to solving the problem, because there's going to be a cost, right? It's going to cost me three weeks. It's going to cost me a quarter, whatever it is. And so many times what happens is the best solution costs too much. And sometimes I'm not willing to do it. Yeah. I'm not willing to jump in. Mm-hmm. And I think that is that is a... It's a mirror moment, and I think it is the right question to begin with. Mm. Am I willing to do what it takes? Am I willing to sacrifice my long-term goals to be able to go short-term, go deal with this problem? And the great thing about this, I think, Dan, to your points, is nothing is over. When this is done, if she came back to a rotting husk of a company, it's done. She came back. To warning flags and red and smoke signals going up and people going, there's a problem. Every problem is addressable and fixable. It just sometimes it takes greater amount of resources than you have willing to put into it. You just said every problem is fixable. Every you problem. You want to stand fixable. by that? I will stand by it. <laughs> you may not like the fix. <laughs> I, I know of a scenario that certain region, three different stores in the region, and the weakest region in the entire company and they have changed leaders, and it is clear to upper lip management that just about everybody in the company needs to go. Now the cost of changing that over is brutal, right? They have done everything, they've given opportunity, there's been personal improvement plans, there's been all those things, they've put some of their best leaders in place, and really, it's not the leadership, it's the core that needs to change. There are some bad apples in there, bad attitudes that are not going to give, that's a huge cost as well. And and I would be wary as this leader of giving deference to those that have been there for longer. Longevity at a place does not necessarily equal the ability to actually accomplish the mission of the place. In fact, my radar would be going off in some ways that nobody nobody would have reached out 
and said, hey, here's a problem, or we're seeing this, because they should have dials. They should have gauges there. You know, something caused them. Now I'm asking the question as a leader, had they been coming to me, and if they stopped coming to me or didn't come to me, now I've got a question there too. Is, is there a block there? Did I do something? You know, and that automatically, I don't want to blame the leader. I want to give them the benefit of the doubt, but that's part of what's happening. Either something changed with me or something changed with the leader that I'm no longer getting those phone calls. I think what happened in that situation, I'm really glad to bring you up, it's, it's a conversation about degrees. I think when you're sitting with your team and you're saying, like, hey, you know, uh, Susie here is in charge while I'm getting my doctorate, you know, and listen to her because she's the one. You want to give her that authority. You want to do everything you can to push her forward. At the same time, you communicate to everyone else. If there's a problem, don't come to me, come to Susie. So now that's what they're doing. And so it just starts to rot from the inside while you're gone and you don't even know. So it's a matter of degrees. Like how do you communicate, listen to Susie, unless the house is on fire and then get a hold of me. Like that's a hard conversation to have, especially with Susie right in the room, right? That's just weird. How many times have leaders said, don't talk to me, go talk to Susie. And the, the person was trying to say, hey, we've got an issue here. <laughs> and that is hard. I mean, that is hard when you place managers inside of an organization. That's really what we're talking about here. People management is incredibly hard. Or leadership, you can call it whatever. Leadership, authenticity, you know, whatever we weave into this. People management is hard because they're not machines. You can't just open it up, pull out a part, change it out, and the machine starts working. People management involves baggage, it involves historical it, uh, treatment, it involves perception of what their work phase, it, it involves attachment to a person over a mission of a business. So, I mean, it's, it is very, very challenging, and it should not be gauged on one level. It's not a unilateral there's a bilateral give and take there. All right, so I think one of the, the principles, if I'm a leader and I'm doing this and I'm heading down this road, I have to know that my success rate, is the likelihood of hitting it out of the park is very low, right? Just like when I go to hire and I hire two people a year, it's very difficult to be a great hirer, right? The more often I do something, the better I get at it. So when this is my first go round, I have to treat it like, this is gonna be difficult. The odds that I'm successful in this, unless I have a coach or somebody that's been through this and is walking me through every part of this, success rate is very low. And I have to operate accordingly because I can't get good the first time. I mean, how many times do we hit the ball out of the park? The first time we go at it, it's not very likely. So I would recommend as a business owner, be careful when you're going into those things. Operate, set things in place like, hey, we're gonna mess this up. We're gonna fail. Let's build it in that way so that it's adjustable as we go along. So when these things come up, nobody's surprised. Yeah, yeah. embrace this failure. I think that would be my, my thing I'd leave this, this person with. Embrace this failure. Don't react to it. Respond to it. Be curious. What's really going on here? Talk to everybody. Find out. Don't trust anybody's perception as gospel on the thing. Be curious about it. Embrace it. And then come out of it going... I know what needs to happen next, or I know what I'm going to try next yeah, yeah. in a hope of doing this. Ken, what do you want to leave with this with? Yeah, I mean, I think that's a great point. I don't know that I don't know that there is a perfect answer to this. I mean, I, I think it depends. There's so many variables that we don't know, but I think going through the steps that you guys are talking about are going to, or is going to give more information, is going to give her a sense of, hey, you know what? 
this is still my ultimate goal. What changes do I need to make in order to meet that goal? And I'm going to follow these steps and get it. So Dan, coming all the way back around to you on this, what's your advice? This is a person in your life. What's your advice? Yeah, I think the first thing that I would do is I would I'd have a conversation for sure with the manager, just like we said earlier, try to gauge their level of sincerity and their ability to actually get this done. If they really want to stay in it and they have the ability to stay in it, then I think I would start with that. Then I would actually have a conversation with the team. I think I would talk to them individually about the mission, not about me as a person, but do they still care about getting this thing done? And that all predicates on the idea that you've actually talked about the mission of the company as beyond just making money. But if you still want to make an impact on people, you still want to change the world, if you're still interested in that, if they're all still interested in that, then you can figure something out. Yeah. But if they're in it for the dollar and they're ultimately just, or they're following you and you're not going to be there anymore, then that, that ship is pretty much sailed, right? And then you've got to figure out what you're going to do from there. Well, listeners, thanks for listening into this spicy episode. Uh, basic business advice. So on behalf of Jordan Mullet, Ken Hostetler, and Dan Olabi, thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.